On this week's episode of Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast, I had an unexpected close encounter with a release candidate Cybertruck, and I want to tell you the whole story. Plus, the Cybertruck UI leaks, Tesla issues more price cuts on the Model 3 and Model Y, a new but not really new Model Y variant has been introduced, and more. friends, Ryan McCaffrey here with you for your October 8th, 2023 edition of Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast, which of course comes to you every Sunday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific. This is episode 427, and it is a scorcher here in San Francisco. We don't often get actual heat. Most, well, many homes in San Francisco don't have air conditioning because we pretty much never need it. But boy, could I use it today. It is 88 outside, <laughs> so this is... I can't remember the last time I was sweating while recording the podcast. But that is neither here nor there. The good news is that there is so much cool stuff to talk about this week. And I want to start with something that happened to me that I think all of you will find interesting. And that is, I had an unexpected close encounter with a Cybertruck. Now, fortunately, that doesn't mean a... Don't take it too literally. I didn't get in an accident with a Cybertruck. Instead, uh, it was the good version of a close encounter. So it was in a Trader Joe's parking lot. I was pulling in after taking Daisy for a long walk. I like to I like to get out of San Francisco and, and just go kind of out into nature and take walks on the weekends when I have a little bit more time because I work from home and I just I like to you know, when, when it comes the weekend, I like to just kind of get out, get out of my usual comfort zone. Anyway, so I pull into a Trader Joe's to get some stuff. And as I do in any parking lot, I look to go park in the back of it. I'm, I am happy to just walk across the parking lot and, and walk to the store uh, from there if it means that I don't have to park near any other cars. Just I want to minimize the risk of getting a door ding. So as I'm going to the back of the parking lot and I'm about to, I'm pulling into a spot, kind of, I, I turn my head to the right and, and there's a giant polygon. I'm like, what? wait a minute, what, what the heck? Yes, there's a Cybertruck sitting there doing the same thing I was, kind of back in the, in, the, in the remote edge of the parking lot, probably trying to avoid attention more so than door dings because as we've been told, the Cybertruck's thick stainless steel door panels and body panels should be fairly resistant to door dings. Well, I can tell you that parking in the back of the parking lot did nothing to draw attention away from this Cybertruck. I, I noticed it instantly, of course, uh, once, I, once I actually looked at it. And in the, in the time that I was standing with it, which was a good probably 10 minutes, because I started by just parking my car, getting out, and taking a look, then I got my camera out, my phone out, and started taking some pictures and a video, which, by the way, are all on my Instagram, if you'd like to check that out or you're interested in following me, but it's DMC underscore Ryan, that's my Instagram. Uh, and I promise, no, I'm not, I'm not just trying to get Instagram followers, that's just, <laughs> that's just where the pictures are. But in any case, so I take some pictures, a video, and then... Uh, I FaceTimed my wife because as those of you that have been listening for a bit know, 
this Cybertruck adventure for me has been a bit of a different one than I think a lot of a lot of you who put down your reservations right on day one, November 19th, 2019. And I didn't put my reservation in until later. I had no interest in the truck. I just thought it was too darn big because I live in San Francisco. Anyway, uh, as many of you know, I've kind of come around on it and decided I'll just park it in front of my house. It's going to be great. I'll have a stainless steel car again, like I once did for, for 12 beautiful years with the DeLorean. And my wife has kind of come around on the idea as well. So I wanted to FaceTime her and just show her the show her this real life truck. Here it is. So that was maybe I was on the phone with her for three or four minutes, something like that. And in this whole time, there are people driving up, walking up, taking pictures of the truck, posing in front of the cyber truck and taking pictures of it. And uh, it's what's going to happen for a while with the cyber truck. The, the effect will eventually wear off, but it's going to take some time. Anyway. This particular release candidate Cybertruck, it was marked with the, you know, the vinyl marking on the side, the RC release candidate engineering prototype on the side. And even if it hadn't had those markings, it was pretty obvious that this was an engineering prototype that was not there to win any car shows. This particular release candidate was filthy. It had atrocious panel gaps. It, and, and this is not a criticism. It was there to be tested. This is something that, you know, the engineers aren't trying to make it look good. They're trying to test the heck out of it, do what needs to be done to try and get the truck to a state where it is ready to go into production and be sold. This one had a wire taped to the top of the windshield, like just about six pieces of tape <laughs> taping the wire across the top of the windshield. It had another sort of strange antenna thing sticking out near the headlight above the bumper. This one, to, to sort of sum it up, looked like it had been put through its paces without a single care for its appearance, which again, makes sense. They're not trying to make it look good for this particular purpose. In fact, it reminded me of the Model 3 release candidate that I saw a few times in my neighborhood back in 2017. Several blocks over, kind of on my dog walking route in the neighborhood, there would be always different Teslas with manufacturer license plates. And in 2017, at a few points here and there, one of those Teslas would be a release candidate Model 3 because it would have, it was A, it was before the car came out and B, it would have a, it had like a big white sticker number on the, on the glass. So would it be like 34, you know, as in release candidate 34. And of course with the manufacturer plates. So it's stood to reason that a Tesla engineer lived in my neighborhood and they must not live here anymore. Or if they do, they're not working on the cyber truck because I have not seen one parked in that area, uh, at all. So anyway, that's neither here nor there, but yeah, release candidate cyber truck insane to see it in the wild. And like I said, love it or hate it, it absolutely draws a crowd. There were so many people, there were a good four, five, six different people that came up to this thing in the 10 or so minutes that I had noticed it and was, and was with it until the owner came back. Now, sentry mode was on and I saw it trigger as both I came up to it and other people. Now, 
I will say, I didn't touch it. Other people were just coming up and literally leaning on it. And I know that these trucks are beat to heck release candidates, that they're tough anyway. They're not going to hurt the truck by leaning on it to take a picture. I just, that, as somebody, again, that that had a DeLorean that uh, was a you know, kind of a rare thing, which at the moment the Cybertruck also is, that fingerprints easily and that uh, that didn't belong to the to the people leaning on it. It just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I know that's that may just be me, but lots of people coming over to check it out. And yeah, oh, sentry mode. That's what I was talking about. Uh, there must be gigabytes worth of amusing reactions to the release candidate trucks on some shared team server at Tesla. Like, I wonder if the engineers have gotten bored yet pairing, just parsing through all of the, all of the sentry mode footage, the dash cam footage, because it's just got to be a constant barrage of clips, just entertaining clips all day long. Anytime a single cyber truck goes out into the wild and, and parks somewhere to be looked at. Um, so as I said, I took some pictures, I took a quick video, I FaceTimed my wife and then the kind of final part of the story here is that I thought, okay, well, I don't. I probably don't have long here before the driver of this, the engineer that's driving it, comes back. So I wanted to line up my Model 3 right next to it so that I can take some pictures and try to get a good comparison for both myself and for other people about just how much bigger it is than a Model 3. How much longer, how much wider than my Model 3? Because that information would be useful to me. I mean, I have no hopes of fitting it in my garage, but it would still be interesting to me to have that that context. All right, you know, to, to have this point of comparison to a Model 3. So I, I pulled up next to it, in the space next to it. I got out. And I checked it and I noticed that I, I didn't quite get it perfect on the first go. I still needed to inch up the nose of the car a bit more. And it was right at that moment that the engineer driving the truck returned. He got back in after I just quickly told him. I said hello and, and said what I was doing. I was like, oh, I have a Cybertruck reservation. I wanted to kind of compare it size-wise to the Model 3. And, and he just said something like, well, yeah, it's definitely bigger. And he got in and and drove off. I didn't want to bother the guy, honestly, so I didn't stop him to pepper him, pepper him with questions because I know, too, he's not authorized to say anything anyway. But still, even though it was a pretty beat-up Cybertruck, in fact, it'll probably be, honestly, this dead serious, this is not hyperbole, that will probably be the worst Cybertruck I ever see in my life in terms of fit and finish, how it's put together, because from here, I'm not saying there won't be imperfect production versions, but something that, that was this, <laughs> this rough is probably never going to be seen again once the, the production truck gets onto the road. But even though it was pretty beat up, I've got to be honest, it got me fired up for the final truck. Seeing it outside in the real world with other cars around in the sunlight for the very first time, because my other close encounters with the original prototype were 
first of all, at night at the reveal event. I mean, yes, I had the privilege of riding in it, but, you know, it was at night and the, the Cybertruck was by itself. And then the other time I was up close and personal with it was indoors at the Peterson Museum. So seeing it outside in a parking lot in a real world setting, what it did was it brought back some really good DeLorean memories for me. Because I, and the reason I say that is because, and you can see this in the pictures, in, at least in one of the pictures on my Instagram, the red paint, the multi-coat red paint of my car caused a glow reflection off of the stainless steel. Like in one of the pictures, you just see this red glow on the stainless. And it's the, it's the way the light reflects off from my car off of the stainless. And it's just a really cool effect. And the way when it, when it drove off, cause I took a little tiny video, a uh, little short video of, of it driving away as well. And the way that the light shimmers off of the stainless steel in that uniquely stainless steel way also brought me back to my DeLorean days. So that it was just so cool. What a privilege it was to just happen upon one, not just in the wild, but in a parking lot unattended so that I could kind of stare at it and take some pictures of it and, and videos with it and almost get a good comparison picture of, of it next to my Model 3. But, uh, you know, I got a good 10 minutes, which is more than most people who are, who are seeing these out in the wild are getting. So really awesome and totally unexpected because I'm up closer to San Francisco, or at least I was in this particular instance. I obviously I live in San Francisco, but this encounter in a, in a, in a Trader Joe's parking lot was, was a little outside of San Francisco. And most of the, the, the prototypes, the release candidates that are running around here in the San Francisco Bay area, they're down in Palo Alto, which I, I don't get down that way particularly often. So super big treat, Really made my day. Like I said, got me extra fired up to get a Cybertruck. And I can't wait until all of you, till, till everybody gets a chance to start seeing these things out in the wild. Now, speaking of the Cybertruck, it's UI. It's user interface, or at least a current in production, probably unfinished version of it, did get leaked this week. The... Community speculation, which is probably reasonable, is that because this this Cybertruck was on the uh, the back of a, a flatbed tow truck. So the speculation is that the tow truck driver hopped in there when the the engineer wasn't wasn't with the truck. And I guess it was unlocked and uh, and got some shots like a, a video with their phone of the UI and by the way, I know this is probably annoying to discuss if you haven't seen it yourself. So I'm sure it's pretty much everywhere on the internet by now, uh, whether, which I'm, I, Tesla probably doesn't want that, but it's, it's out there. If you want to look it up on Google, check it out here as I, as I give some quick thoughts. But I'll, I'll keep my thoughts brief since this isn't a visual medium. But in short, I loved the Cybertruck UI. A, because it's wholly unique, at least for now. And it somewhat closely mirrors, in a pleasant surprise, 
it, it rather closely mirrors the demo UI that was on the original prototype. Now, the standouts of that are, number one, that everything that would normally be docked on the bottom of the screens in our cars, horizontally across the bottom of the screen, is now docked down the left rail vertically. So the far left edge of your screen in the Cybertruck UI. The font is also unique. It is an appropriately cyberpunky, futuristic font. And there's a, you know, there was a 3D, since the truck wasn't moving, there was the cool 3D render of the Cybertruck on the left side of the screen, as there are with our cars. The threes and the Ys specifically on the on the left side of the screen on the S and X. It's of course in the instrument cluster screen in front of the driver. But it was really just neat to see that little render on the screen as well. Uh, now, Tesla, clearly wary of leaks, knowing that they can happen, they did something very smart. And the driver, the, the, the leaker, I don't, I don't want to say for sure it was the tow truck driver, but whoever leaked that video, they, they made a smart attempt to learn some key information. And that was they tapped the battery icon along the, which is still in the Cybertruck UI along the top rail of the screen, the, the very top skyline, just as it is in our cars, trying to switch it from percentage display to miles of range display in an effort to see how many miles of range the Cybertruck has. But clearly the, the, the software team at Tesla thought of this exact situation or something very similar to it. And the, no matter, you know, the guy tap, 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 tapped it, and it wouldn't switch to miles. I'm sure they'll enable it for the final truck, but for this engineering release candidate version, they smartly had it locked where only the percentage was visible to prevent a leak of the truck's range. But um, I have to think, the reason I said for now a minute ago is because as the Model 3 is moving to a stockless driver interface where the gear selection happens on that left rail of the screen, as it does in the Cybertruck, as it does in the S, as it does in the X. I wonder if what we see in the Cybertruck UI with everything docked on the left is going to end up being mirrored in all of the other cars. It would make sense, right? Now, I'm not suggesting the Cybertruck specific Blade Runner-y font that I was mentioning a minute ago, that's not going to make its way over to the SX3 or Y, but just the general UI language, UI design, I think there's probably a pretty good chance, knowing Tesla, their quest for efficiency, they're probably not going to want to create a completely, well, create and maintain a completely bespoke UI for the Cybertruck versus the other cars. So, I think I think this uh, this Cybertruck UI leak is probably there's there's reason to believe that it's a sneak peek at what the UI is going to look like in in the next major revision of the UI in all of the cars. All right, so that's uh, that's all the Cybertruck stuff I've got for you this week. Very exciting on both fronts. The next segment here is once again. The NACS Coalition Report. Yes, it is time for this regularly occurring segment once again. The latest company to sign on is Hyundai slash Kia. 
Nothing to add to this. Everybody's press release is a variant of the exact same thing. It's the same 12,000 superchargers that the other non-Tesla automakers are going to have access to. There's going to be an adapter. And then in 2025, they'll start putting the NACS port on the cars. The Hyundais and Kias natively, all the same stuff you've now heard literally 10 times from me at this point. So uh, just sharing the good news that Hyundai, Kia is the latest automaker to sign on. And I think, I mean, we were probably already at this point, but if we weren't already, we definitely are now. We have officially gotten to the point where there just aren't very many big holdouts now at all, such that we're we're at the stage where any car maker that doesn't sign up to NACS at this point is, in my humble opinion, doing their North American customers an actual massive disservice. Any holdouts from this point on, you are just harming your own customers by not signing on to NACS. So we'll see if BMW, being one of the last dominoes that needs to fall, we'll see if they jump on here pretty soon. We'll see if Dodge Stellantis signs on. We'll see if Lucid gets in there. Those are three of the last major players that have not yet signed on. All right. Uh, I hope all of you who are very kindly and generously backing me on Patreon at that $10 a month tier or higher, the Patreon website where you can find all the information for supporting my efforts here with Ride the Lightning. You can find it at patreon.com slash Podcast. And I hope all of you that are backing me at that $10 per month tier or higher enjoyed this week's lightning round mini episode, which was about what I feel the Model S and Model X need to get in their next mini refresh. So a list of things. I think there were eight total things that I suggested that the S and X could both really use the next time Franz and the design team do a little tweak to the S and X. And as a reminder, anytime any of you are kind enough to join my Patreon at that $10 a month tier or higher, you'll get access to all of these lightning round mini episodes that I do exclusively for Patreon every single week. There are now 66 of them, I believe. So again, check it out, patreon.com slash Podcast. And don't forget about the 10% annual pledge discount. So if you just want to pledge once for an entire year, there's a 10% discount for doing that. And there is a seven-day free trial. If you'd like to just sign up and try it out for a week, that seven-day trial is specifically available on that most popular tier, that $10 a month tier. So check that out as well. And uh, one other little personal announcement, I'll just echo what I mentioned last week. I am starting to make regular guest appearances, hopefully it's going to be weekly or, or close to it thereabouts, on the Kim Java YouTube channel. Starting last week, and then uh, I, this morning we recorded the second episode that I've been lucky enough to be a part on, part of, pardon me. So again, for those of you who've been nudging me to do YouTube, this is this is the answer to that. I am uh, happy to be on YouTube now, as well as here on podcast, which, as I've always said, it for me, I love the podcast format. 
I've been fascinated with radio ever since I was a kid. I almost, I would have gone into radio had I not been lucky enough to, to land in the dream career that I did land in, in, in video game media. But uh, it's nice to be on YouTube. So if you'd like a little more of me each and every week, you can head to youtube.com slash at sign it's Kim Java, I-T-S-K-I-M-J-A-V-A. And Kim and her husband, PJ, have lots of other excellent Tesla videos on their channel as well. All right, time to go through the week's news in Tesla. Believe it or not, the we've already been going for 20 plus minutes, and that was mostly just <laughs> the news I created by, by finding a Cybertruck in a parking lot. But here we go. Q3 production and delivery numbers are in. And as we were guided to expect by Tesla, they are down quarter over quarter. Here's Tesla's press release, which as usual is short and sweet. They wrote, in the third quarter, we produced over 430,000 vehicles and delivered over 435,000 vehicles. A sequential decline in volume was caused by planned downtimes for factory upgrades as discussed on the most recent earnings call. Our 2023 volume target of around 1.8 million vehicles remains unchanged. And the earnings call, I can tell you, as expected, is indeed on Wednesday, October 18th. So I will have my quarterly recap and analysis episode with highlight clips, audio clips, from Elon Musk and the Tesla executive team in just two shows from now. That'll be episode 429. So getting back to the numbers, the exact number of deliveries, and I'm going to focus on deliveries, is 435,059 with just 15,985 of those being S's and X's combined. That, that, fifth, that 16K, just under 16K, that's S's and X's. So it's it's probably about, if I had to guess, uh, eh, nine and seven. Probably 9,000 X's, 7,000 S's. With 96.33% of deliveries being Model 3's and Model Y's. Now, for comparison, Q2 was 479,700 cars produced and 466,140 delivered. So that is an 11% drop in production quarter over quarter and about a 7% dip in deliveries. I think one other relevant number to look at is year over year. How was Q3 last year? So going back to Q3 of 2022, the numbers look start to look a lot better. The, the disappointment wanes quickly when you realize that one year ago in Q3 2022, Tesla produced just under 366,000 vehicles and delivered just under 344,000 vehicles. So they are still well up year over year. It's plus 17.6% year over year on production and plus 26.5% year-over-year on deliveries. Plus, as Tesla themselves mentioned, they had suitably warned us of these planned factory downtimes on that last earnings call, 
And the other thing to just keep in mind, if you're a little bummed that they missed their or that they that they were down quarter over quarter, they're still on track to hit their 1.8 million production goal for 2023. Now, they're going to need to have a record quarter, meaning not just a record Q4, a record quarter ever to do it here in Q4. And perhaps that's where this next story comes into play. So another big piece of news this week is that the Model Y standard range rear-wheel drive, meaning different than the 4680 battery-based standard range all-wheel drive Model Y that Giga Texas was building for a while up until very recently, the rear-wheel drive standard range Model Y is back. And if you're thinking, wait a minute, it's back. I don't ever remember this. You are uh, forgiven for not remembering it because the standard range rear wheel drive Y was available for literally one month in the entire production run of the Model Y to date. And it was in January of 2021. It was gone almost as quickly as it had arrived. And so that sound you hear, if you just pause and just you just listen, do you hear the faint screams? What that sound is, is the shrieking in terror of other automakers who have a crossover SUV on the market, gas or electric, at the prospect of a $44,000 Model Y standard range, which by the way, actually gets down to about $36,000 if you use someone's referral link to get a little bit of money off, and if you qualify for the $7,500 federal tax credit. And what can I say here? It really is incredible to me what Tesla is doing for the affordability of not just EVs in general, but more specifically, and in my opinion, more importantly, the affordability of desirable electric vehicles. An awesome Model 3 is, well, hold that thought. When I made these notes, an awesome Model 3 was $32,000 after the $7,500 federal tax credit and the $500 referral discount. The very good Model Y standard range is $36,000 after those same discounts. And in case you're curious, you're listening going, Ryan, what is the range? I need to know the range of this standard Model Y. Yes, that is certainly a key piece of information. The number is 260 miles of EPA rated range. Now, no word yet as of me recording this on Friday night, if it is an LFP battery pack similar to the standard Model 3. I hope so, so that it's 260 miles of daily usable range. And honestly, I would guess that it does. I would be willing to place a small wager in Las Vegas that this is an LFP battery vehicle. I should note that a a Tesla source of mine sent me the full details of this, and I don't know if this piece of it's been reported anywhere. Not that this is anything major, but just so you know, if you're considering purchasing the standard range Model Y, the standard has no parcel shelf with it to cover your 
items that are in the hatchback in the rear. It also has no fog lamps, which is interesting as well. And then this is noted in the Tesla communication to its employees. Although this one's a little obvious, it has no dual motor badge on the back of the vehicle as well, since, of course, there's only one motor in this standard range Model Y. It also, I wrote down might be here in my notes, but after doing some digging, I think we can scratch off the might. It is the slowest Tesla ever to 60 miles an hour, with the possible exception of the Tesla Semi. Although, the Tesla Semi is rocking a plaid drivetrain with a massive battery pack. So if there's no load being carried on the back of the Tesla Semi, I wonder if it's quicker to 60 than this standard range Model Y. Anyway, the standard range Model Y, 0 to 60 in 6.6 seconds, which in Tesla time, in Tesla speed, is awful. It's, I mean, most people are probably totally fine with that. That They would have no issue with that whatsoever. But relative to the standard that Tesla has set for itself, 6.6 seconds is like, I could get out and walk faster than this. But uh, actually, now that I think of it too, the fact that it's that slow, again, relatively speaking, that does, I think, give a little weight to the, to the hypothesis that it is an LFP battery. Because we do know that the LFP battery packs have lower energy density and thus, they, they can't spit out as much power at once when you ask for it from the car, and me- means, meaning their 0 to 60 times are slower. When the 3, the standard 3, went from a nickel-based battery to the LFP, the 0 to 60 got noticeably slower. So, yeah, I, I think that, that now tips me to, I'm pretty confident that the, the standard range Model Y is an LFP, which, which would be great, because that means... 260 miles of daily usable range is a lot better than 80% of that, which is what you'd have to charge to if it were a nickel-based pack. Anyway, uh, when I was checking to see what the slowest Tesla ever was before this, the one that came to mind was the Model X 60D, which in actuality was a software-locked 75 kilowatt-hour battery, But that one did 0 to 60 in 6 seconds flat. That was the only one that I thought might rival this 6.6 second Model Y. But it turns out, not even close. 6.6 seconds, that's quite a bit slower than than any of the other Teslas ever made. So, all hail the standard range Model Y, the slowest Tesla ever. But that's okay, because a lot of families buying it are just going to be happy to have um, an extra affordable Tesla with all that cargo volume and the safest, the actual safest car in the entire world. That Those are the important stats on this standard range Model Y. Now, back to being serious. If Tesla is reintroducing this after almost three years, I would have to imagine that it's because demand on the Y has maybe flattened out a little bit. I mean, it's still going to be the number one selling car in the world, just for context. And, but I have to wonder if, you know, they have to have introduced this for a reason. And I suspect that, that Tesla wants to goose production, just make sure production is going to stay at the highest of volumes 
in order to make sure that all four factories that are building the Model Y remain operating at full capacity. Although that's admittedly the glass half empty view. So the glass half full perspective, I guess, as I mentioned a moment ago, is that Tesla is making very desirable EVs that are affordable or more affordable for more people in what is the single most popular vehicle segment in America, crossover SUVs. And so at the end of the day, this standard range Model Y is a net positive. There is no doubt about that. On a related note to the Model Y, we've got more price cuts. On the 3 and on the Y, the S and X are unaffected. The Model 3, the rear-wheel drive, base Model 3, gets a $1,250 haircut coming down to $39K, officially $38,990, but I'm just going gonna, gonna to round it for simplicity's sake here. Uh, I think you'll forgive me that $10. $39K for the base Model 3. The long-range Model 3 also gets trimmed by $1,250. That's down to $46K. The Performance Model 3 sees a $2,250 price decrease down to $51,000 for a Performance Model 3. And take it from me as somebody that's had a Performance Model 3 for over five years, that is a steal. That is crazy. That is a, a heck of a buy right there if you're, if you're in that market, if you're interested in a Model 3 that can, that can still, even five years later, beat pretty much anything off the line and will just put a giant Disneyland roller coaster smile on your face anytime that you're in a safe position to, to slam that accelerator pedal from zero. It, will, it puts a smile on my face every single time. And now you can have that for $51,000 before any tax incentives, tax credits, any of that stuff. So crazy what's going on. And it continues with the Model Y. The aforementioned standard range rear wheel drive Model Y, no price change there because obviously it was just introduced. The long range Model Y, $2,000 off it is now $48,500. Again, officially $48,490, but I'm rounding for simplicity here. So $48,500 for the long-range Model Y. The Performance Model Y also got a $2,000 price cut down to $52,500. So, wow. <laughs> that is cool. You know, uh, that makes... A base Model 3, which I know I'm like a broken record at this point. I've said it over and over. I feel like the base Model 3 in particular is such a great value. You get so much car for the money. And that car can now be had for, revising my number from, from a moment ago, $31,500 if you qualify for the federal tax credit. And that's without factoring in any state or local incentives that you might have available to you. And you can definitely shave another $250 off of that if you use someone's referral link or if you already own a Tesla, you use your you have your loyalty discount as an existing Tesla owner. So 
you, you know, shave that 250 off and you're now at $31,250 after the federal tax credit and the $250 referral discount. Yes, the referral discount was lowered this week from $500 down to $250. Still doing the three free months of FSD with that, though. But um, just to come back to the Model 3 performance for a second, because I guess you know it's near and dear to my heart because that's my car. 51K, it's madness. It's madness for a performance Model 3. As I have jokingly noted here before, I think that nobody in history has ever paid more for a Model 3 than I did. My car, all in, including FSD, was $80,500. Now, I did get $10,000 of that back, $7,500 federal tax credit, and at the time, California was offering a $2,500 state cash rebate. Uh, California does still have a credit now, but it's less. I think it's $1,500 now. Anyway... It was $80,500 all in on my car, but I just, I actually had to double check my Monroney sticker, which I I kept. I still have it in a folder. I really need to frame it and put it up on the wall uh, because, you know, it's, it, it signifies a day that I worked really hard and for a really long time to get to. But uh, I took out the Monroney sticker and took a look at it. My car in 2018, the base price, you know, taking out FSD, taking out red paint, taking out the white interior, the base price on my car five years ago was $69,000. Now, it was officially sixty-four, dollars but then there was the performance package, which was $5,000. Today, you can't buy what, what we... Uh, called the the P3D minus back then were in in the very beginning of the performance model three days in summer of 2018 and into fall of 2018, you could buy the performance model three without the 20 inch wheels, without the uh, larger brakes and red brake calipers, without the spoiler, without the aluminum pedals in the interior. That is not a thing anymore. So making an apples-to-apples comparison of what you get now versus what I paid. My car, the the base price was $69,000, and I threw that into an inflation calculator just for, for, uh, for laughs, just to make the comparison even a little bit more interesting. In 2023 dollars, the 69K base price of my car in 2018 is a little bit over $84,000 now. So I think that's a pretty reasonable comparison. $51,000 for a performance model. Again, this is leaving out any tax incentives credits, just base price. $51,000 now versus the equivalent, the 2023 equivalent of $84,000 plus five years ago. That is some serious price progress on Tesla's part. That is incredible. And by the way, not to leave the Model Y out of this, the Model Y long range is also now insane value. I think it's worth calling the long range out specifically since it's not only Tesla's bestseller, but it's the number one selling vehicle in the entire world. I mean, the Model Y overall is, but the majority of Model Ys that are sold, like the 
overwhelming majority of them. We don't actually get those numbers, so in fairness, it is my speculation. But it, the, the definite majority of Model Ys that are sold are long-range Model Ys. Now, that could start to change moving forward with this seemingly LFP battery pack standard range Model Y, just as it has with the Model 3, where clearly, just from what I see on the roads, more and more of the Model 3s are, are the standard Model 3, as, as, which makes sense. It's, a, again, great value for what, what you're getting. So that might start to shift with the, the Y, but for the time being, the, the long range is the one that's produced uh, far and away more than the performance. And that car is just incredibly priced now. It's really, really awesome to see. Okay, before I get on to the other half of the Tesla news this week, yes, that is how busy of a week it is. I've been talking for 44 minutes already, and that's only half of the news that I want to talk to you about. Let me mention my friends at Accelerate Auto and their X-Care extended warranty coverage. I am putting my X-Care policy to use this week. I'm going to tell you more about that towards the end of the show, but this will be the second time that I've used it. I told you... After the first time, it went super smooth, super well. So if, like me, you're somebody that's planning on holding on to your Tesla past the uh, factory warranty period, you might want to consider the extended warranty options from Xcare. They are very flexible, unlike Tesla, who only offers that fixed two-year, 25,000-mile coverage plan. Xcare offers up to 10 years and up to 125,000 miles after your factory warranty is up. My policy, just for context, just to share with you here, three years, 40,000 more miles for me. That's what's on mine. So uh, the policy has a $100 deductible, which is also, it matches what Tesla's extended warranty does, as well as 24-7 roadside assistance. But Xcare offers some stuff that Tesla's extended policy doesn't, like rental reimbursement, should you need it, and trip interruption coverage, should you need it. So check them out. See which Xcare plan is right for you. Go to accelerateauto.com slash Xcare. That's X-C-E-L-E-R-A-T-E-A-U-T-O dot com slash X-C-A-R-E. And don't forget to use the discount code LIGHTNING for $100 off your purchase. Also, this week, Ride the Lightning is brought to you in part by Oracle NetSuite. Business owners, tell me if any of this sounds familiar. Your business gets to a certain size, the cracks start to emerge. Things you used to do in a day are taking a week. You have too many manual processes you don't have one source of truth. If this is you, you should know these three numbers, 36,000, 25, one. So 36,000, that is the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, NetSuite turns 25 years old this year. That is 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And one, because your business is one of a kind. 
So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts and improve margins, everything you need all in one place. You know, I'm a one man show today, as I was mentioning last week, but who knows? I've been at this eight years. If I stay at it, maybe one day Ride the Lightning will turn into its own company with its own team. And if and when that day comes, I will look to NetSuite to help make managing my business easier by keeping all of my most important business tasks in one place. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash lightning. That's netsuite.com slash lightning to get your own KPI checklist. N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash lightning. Okay, back to the Tesla news for this week. There's a lot of it, and it's a lot of fun stuff. This one, maybe not quite as fun if you either own an original Tesla Roadster, or maybe you're thinking of buying one at some point because it'd be cool to have in your car collection or just to your to have a, a piece of Tesla history. Well, a friend at Tesla let me know that the original Tesla Roadster's 80 kilowatt hour battery pack upgrade had its price increased this week from the $29,000 it had been since it was introduced some years ago to $40,000. Now, if you're curious, this battery upgrade does boost the Roadster from roughly 230, 240 miles of range to over 300 miles of range. It's not cheap, but then again, neither are the Roadsters at this point. I mean, the fact is they have transcended into the realm of collector cars and they're rare. There's 2,412 of them that were made, I believe is uh, what Peter Gruber, Roadster expert, mentioned the last time he was on the podcast with me. Now that said, I'm certainly not going to applaud this. I'm never going to applaud a price increase from Tesla, but I do get why they're doing it here. There are so few original Roadsters overall, and plenty of them have probably already done this upgrade. So that further narrows the the number of cars that would potentially take advantage of this. And it's probably cost prohibitive for Tesla to even keep any of these battery packs around as well. But make no mistake, I I will say, even though I'm not thrilled to see a a pretty substantial price increase, this is what? This is about a a 33, actually a little bit more than a 33% price increase. But I am, I will say this for Tesla, I'm really glad that they are continuing to offer the R80 battery pack. Because with respect to Gruber Motors in Arizona and to Medlock and Sons in Seattle, both of whom are doing heroes work in keeping the original Roadsters roadworthy, it is important that Tesla not completely turn its back on what has become and I guess always was, but the more time goes by, the more this becomes true, a historically significant car. So I'm glad to see Tesla continue to support it. The price increase is tough, but I suppose if it's any consolation, most roadsters have probably appreciated in value by well more than the $11,000 price increase on this battery upgrade in the time that those folks have owned the original Roadster. 
All right, let's move on to something a little more fun. That was some, we had price cuts earlier, which we celebrate, and then we had a price increase there, so we kind of balanced it out. Let's get back to a fun topic here. Franz von Holzhausen and Tesla Semi program boss Dan Priestley were on Jay Leno's garage this week with none other than the Tesla Semi truck. They let Jay drive it. Uh, it's a long episode. It's a, I guess what it would be an hour of regular over-the-air television because it was 42 or 44 minutes. I'm sure if they were to throw commercials in there, but 42-minute video, which you can watch on the Jay Leno's Garage YouTube channel. And I've got one, two, three, four clips picked out that I wanted to play for you that I thought were of interest. The first one here is Dan Priestley, again, the head of Tesla's semi-truck program, talking about the origins of the Tesla semi-project. I mean, we started out obviously designing the early cars like the Roadster, Model S. Right. And you might ask, well, why did we get into heavy trucking? And it all comes down to the mission. So when we launched our factory in Nevada, our gigafactory that supports all of the powertrains that get built for our cars in Fremont, our co-founder and CTO at the time, J.B. Straubel, said, it doesn't make any sense that we should be shipping all of these parts for electric cars on diesel trucks. We should do electric trucks. And so that's what kicked off, what started as just a little investigation. And then over the years, it snowballed. Uh, one of our other executives, Jerome, who had come from Freightliner and designed semi-trucks, super passionate about it, really kicked it into high gear and you know, worked with Franz and the design team to say, okay, let's make this into uh, a real program and make it happen. And we really wanted to fulfill the mission and make electric trucks to uh, really clean up the world and haul our own parts on our own trucks. And when it comes right down to it, most people would rather save money than clean up the world. So if you can save money and clean up the world, that's great. Like for example, a diesel truck, you're putting what? $1,500 worth of fuel in it, an average trip, something like that? Yeah, that's about right. I mean, I, I know the difference between what my Tesla is on a daily basis, fuel-wise, versus my Galaxy 500 with the big 427. I can't imagine, what is it with, with something like this versus a diesel truck? Yeah, in the first three years of operation, you're looking at nearly $200,000 in fuel savings. So wow. that's massive for a fleet, particularly when you look at ones that have thousands of trucks. So that's what really attracts a lot of our customers is the economics of the total cost of ownership. I don't think that I had ever heard the origin story of the semi before. So I thought that if I found that interesting, you might too. Next clip here is answering the very good question by Jay of how many Tesla semis Tesla has produced thus far. How many trucks have you made so far? Yes, we've made a few dozen, so that we're up in the maybe 60, 70 range. And wow. we're, we're cranking them out just at pilot volumes. We're collecting data. We're getting a lot of really great driver feedback. And then we're going to take that time to do a bunch of improvements and bring that into a high volume and really uh, try to be a major player in the market. Cool. So I think I was kind of right that PepsiCo has basically paid to be Tesla's beta tester here. They're going to take all the data from Tesla's own usage of the truck and Pepsi's and roll those into, if you will, a version 1.1 of the Tesla Semi. Also, the Tesla community has wondered just how many semi-trucks Tesla's made, and now we know. 60 to 70 so far in these first eh, 10 or so months of production, which roughly equates to six to seven a week, which roughly equates again to about one per day. So that's interesting. The next clip I have for you is Dan uh, explaining something about their goal, a sort of a secondary goal with the Tesla Semi 
that I admit I personally had not considered. Take a listen to this. And we're hopeful. I mean, the average age of drivers in the United States is over 50. And right. you know, we don't have many young drivers. And so we're hoping that by reducing the barrier to entry, you're not having to manage and you know, double clutch when you're downshifting right, right, and right. asynchronous gears and things that come with that. By making an easier to approach vehicle, it might attract some new drivers into the field. Dan makes a great point there that I had never considered. Although there, there's one other item that I think merits discussion as part of this specific subtopic as well, and that's autonomy. You know, young, young drivers, definitely great to have, but it, at some point, autonomy could potentially take over a lot of routes along, you know, interstates and things like that, a lot of the longer haul routes. But that, that kind of made me think about one other thing related to autonomy with semi-trucks, and that is we haven't heard anything, like actually anything about autopilot on the Tesla Semi since the unveiling back in 2017. So I wonder if autopilot on the Semi is still in development or if all of those resources are just being dedicated to getting FSD to the finish line on the passenger cars instead. I would, I would probably guess that it's the latter on that, but still food for thought. There was a whole big part of the presentation at the unveiling event back in 2017 about autonomy and autopilot on a Tesla Semi and what it could do and how it could be beneficial. And we haven't heard anything about that since. Just kind of found that interesting. All right, I've got one more clip for you here. Again, you can watch the full episode on the Jay Leno's Garage YouTube channel. But Jay asked, a, again, a very good question. What batteries does the Tesla Semi use? Here's Dan responding to that. Same battery pack as the Y or just more of them? So we use actually a lot of technology brought over from our energy division in how the battery is assembled. But it is assembled in a higher voltage. Right. So we're running at you know, the 800,000 volt range Wow. versus our 400 volt range in most of our cars today. But Cybertruck will also go to that higher voltage range. So Semi was really helping you know, prove out a number of our high voltage theories early on. So notice that Dan did not answer the question there. He refused to confirm whether this initial version of the Semi is using 2170 battery cells or 18650s. But he did tell us a bit more about what we already know, that the Cybertruck is using higher voltage architecture. Perhaps that's going to allow it to, say, pull more power at the driver's discretion, perhaps for towing or perhaps just for blowing a Ferrari away off the line. Uh, one other quick thing I want to mention before I move on to the final news item this week, something from that Jay Leno's Garage episode, a random fun observation. At least I think it's fun. Maybe you'll agree. And that is that the seat belt in the driver's seat of the Tesla Semi is red, which I think looks awesome. And I really hope that Tesla also does this in the Tesla Roadster whenever they finally get around to making it because supercars should have neat little touches like that. And in fact, a number of other supercars do have fun colored, different color seatbelts besides just black. And honestly, you know, they should probably do this. Why wait? Why even wait for the Roadster? They should do this in the Plaid S and Plaid X as well just as one more little differentiating touch between the regular S and the X and the plaids, 
that other drivers who were in the know could tell just from, from looking in the car, oh, that's a plaid, without having to look at the badge on the back. But I just thought that was neat and kind of unexpected. I wasn't expecting the Tesla Semi to have a fun Tesla red seatbelt in it. All right, and before I wrap up the news this week, I did promise this on last week's podcast, so here we go. I have another excerpt from Walter Isaacson's epic biography on Elon Musk. It is, again, 615 pages long, so it's a, it's a pretty healthy read, but it, it reads pretty quickly. I really enjoyed it. As I said last week, uh, I was just about done. This week, I did finish up, and I'll, I'll tell you some closing thoughts in a second. But first... I wanted to read you uh, another quick excerpt here. It is on the origins of the Cybertruck. Take a listen to this, because there's some really interesting pieces in here. Beginning in early 2017, they began kicking around ideas for a Tesla pickup truck. Von Holzhausen started with traditional designs using a Chevrolet Silverado as a model. One was placed in the middle of the studio, and they studied its proportions and components. Musk said he wanted something more exciting, perhaps even surprising. So they looked at historical vehicles with a cool vibe, most notably the El Camino, a retro-futuristic coupe made by Chevrolet in the 1960s. Von Holzhausen designed a pickup truck with a similar vibe, but as they walked around the model, they agreed that it felt too soft. Quote, It was too curved, Von Holzhausen said. It didn't have the authority of a pickup truck. End quote. Musk then added another design reference that inspired him. The Lotus Esprit of the late 1970s, a pointy, wedge-nosed British sports car. Specifically, he was enamored with a version that appeared in the 1977 James Bond movie The Spy Who Loved Me. Musk bought the one that was used in the movie for close to a million dollars and displayed it in the Tesla design studio. The brainstorming was fun, but it still did not lead to a concept that excited them. For inspiration, they visited the Peterson Automotive Museum, where they noticed something surprising. We realized, von Holzhausen says, that pickup trucks basically haven't changed in their form or their manufacturing process in 80 years, end quote. That led Musk to shift his focus to something more basic. What material should they use to build the truck's body? By rethinking the materials and even the physics of the vehicle's structure, it could open up the possibility of wildly new designs. Originally, we were thinking aluminum, von Holzhausen says. We also kicked around titanium because durability was really important, end quote. But around that time, Musk became enthralled by the possibility of making a rocket ship out of glistening stainless steel. That might also work for a pickup truck, he realized. A stainless steel body would not need painting and could bear some of the vehicle's structural load. It was a truly out-of-the-box idea, a way to rethink what a vehicle could be. One Friday afternoon, after a few weeks of discussion, Musk came in and simply announced, we are going to do this whole thing in stainless steel. Uh, all right, now let me skip to, there's, I'm skipping ahead a little bit. There were a few dissenting voices suggesting that something too futuristic would not sell. After all, this was a pickup truck. I don't care if no one buys it, Elon said at the end of the, se the session. We're not doing a traditional boring truck. We can always do that later. I want to build something that's cool. Like, don't resist me. By July 2019, 
Von Holzhausen and Morris had built a full-size mock-up of a futuristic, jarring cyber design with sharp angles and diamond facets. One Friday, they surprised Musk, who had not yet seen it, by putting it in the middle of the showroom floor next to the more traditional model they had been considering. When Musk walked in the door leading from the SpaceX factory, his reaction was instantaneous. Quote, That's it! He exclaimed. I love it. We are doing that. Yes, this is what we are going to do. Yes, okay, done. It became known as the Cybertruck. Quote, A majority of people in this studio hated it, says Von Holzhausen. They were like, you can't be serious. They didn't want to have anything to do with it. It was just too weird, end quote. Some of the engineers started working secretly on an alternative version. Von Holzhausen, who is as gentle as Musk is brusque, spent time listening carefully to their concerns. Quote, If you don't have buy-in from the people around you, it's hard to get things done, he says. Musk was less patient. When some designers pushed him to at least do some market testing, Musk replied, I don't do focus groups. So there you go. I thought that was a particularly fun little behind-the-scenes peek at, at what it was like inside Tesla's own walls when they were first mocking up and, and, and other people internally were seeing the Cybertruck for the first time. Uh, and a couple of other notes here. I find it interesting that they considered titanium. I mean, aluminum is no surprise because the Model S and Model X are aluminum, as are rival trucks like the F-150, but titanium, that's a bit more unexpected. Uh, it was also neat to hear that the pickup truck idea started all the way back in 2017, the year that the Model 3 went into production. So they'd been thinking about it for a while before they landed on exactly what they wanted to do. Now, my overall thoughts on the book, it kind of turns out that the thoughts I shared with you last week still apply, even after finishing it. I just found it pretty reasonably even-handed. I very much enjoyed the book. Most of the last quarter of the book is dedicated to the Twitter acquisition, since obviously that was the most recent big thing that happened in Elon's world before Walter Isaacson went to print. And the portrayal of, of Elon's words and actions during that time isn't always flattering in the book. So again, yeah, I think it was pretty even-handed, which is what I would want out of an authorized biography on somebody. And I will give a shout out though, after finishing the book, I can't imagine he's gonna hear this, but shout out to Kimball Musk for always trying to keep his brother grounded. There are, there are instances, of, instances of that, pardon me, throughout the book. And Kimball really jumped out at me as somebody that was a kind of a calming, good influence in Elon's inner circle. All right, that is everything I have for you in what was very clearly a very, very busy Tesla News Week. I've got time for, I'm going to do a couple of phone calls from the Ride the Lightning hotline. Number one, because I love hearing from all of you. And number two, because I've got some great, awesome calls lined up. So stay tuned for those right after this. Hi, this is Franz von Holzhausen, and you're listening to Ride the Lightning with Ryan McCaffrey, the Tesla unofficial podcast. Welcome to the Ride the Lightning Hotline, your chance to be featured here on the podcast, which I welcome and invite you to do. There are two easy ways to participate. Either use your smartphone's built-in voice recording software, 
Record your question. Please try to keep it to 90 seconds or less so that I can get to as many callers each week as possible. And then email that file to me at my email address, which is teslapodcast at gmail.com. Or you can just call in and leave a message on the Ride the Lightning hotline, which you can do day or night, 24-7. It's a toll-free number, and that number is 1-888-989-8752. Again, that's 1-888-989-TSLA. And if you know someone special with an upcoming birthday, anniversary, graduation, or some other special occasion, you can give them a unique gift of recorded voices from friends and family telling them why they are special. The recordings can be podcasted or put onto a keepsake. Visit lifeonrecord.com to learn more. Kicking it off here with James from the Bay Area. Hey, what up, Ryan? How's it going? James from the Bay Area here. Just a quick question, purely hypothetical, you know, just for fun. Um, Let's say you were buying a Plaid Model S today, right? And you got to choose from four delicious flavors for the exterior color. Which one would you go with? Would you go with your old school, high school crush, Signature Red? Or would you give a nod to our friends over there in Germany and go with the Midnight Cherry Red? Or would you stick with your current BFF, which would be Multicoat Red? Or would you go after the Ultra Pro Max, <laughs> which would be Ultra Red? Yeah, just, just for fun, just would like to know which one you'd choose. Of course, we know you're going with white interior. You got to stay with that. But I'm interested to hear your thoughts. What say you, Ryan? What say you? James, thank you for calling in with this because this is a really fun game to play. I love this. All four Tesla Reds, which would I choose? I admit, I've never really considered this before, of pitting all four of them against each other. Because first of all, when, when you called in, I had, to, I had to stop myself and go, oh, yeah. There have been four different reds at this point. It kind of never, I just never really thought of it that way in my head before, even though over time, yes, we've, we've had a few and sure enough, it's four. So, all right, all four Tesla reds. I can say right off the bat that I'm eliminating multi-coat red. I'm totally happy with it on my car, but in this group of four fantastic reds, multi-coat red is for me at the bottom of the list. Plus, hypothetical or not, I've had this color on my car for the past five plus years, so I'd be ready for one of the other three. Ultra Red, as you've heard me say before, is absolutely gorgeous. You all know how I feel about that one. But you also all know how I feel about Signature Red. In a lightning round mini episode on Patreon from some months back, I did my personal rankings of every paint color that Tesla has ever had, although since I made that episode, a few new ones have been introduced, so I might have to revisit that topic in a future lightning round. But anyway, spoiler, on that list, Signature Red was the color that I ranked number one out of every color Tesla had ever done up to that point. So clearly, I love Signature Red. Now, Midnight Cherry Red is the only one of these four that I've not had a chance to see in person with my own eyes in real life. I've only seen pictures and videos. And it's such a dark red, obviously by the name Midnight Cherry Red, that it's almost purple, again, at least in pictures and videos. So let me think about this for a second. You know... It would be really cool to have a 
full circle Model S, meaning a brand new plaid Model S, like I've been dreaming about recently, that's painted in the same signature red that the very first Model S's ever made were available in. That would be pretty cool. A signature red plaid with a white interior would be a thing of beauty. So let's see, would it come down to signature red or ultra red for me? I don't know. I don't know. I, when I think more about it, I'm not sure if the signature red would pair as well with the glossy black trim and the black wheels that are on the Model S nowadays as it did with the chrome trim and the silver wheels from back in, in 2012. But I mean, Midnight Cherry is still pretty cool too. I, you know, honestly, at the, I'm already talking way too long. I'm drawing this out unintentionally. I'm going to go with ultra red, but I'll be honest with you, James, I could be talked into any of the three besides multi-coat red. You could easily talk me into any of those other three colors. In fact, when James's call came in, I had such fun thinking about this that I, I instantly wanted to see what all of you thought. So I made this the subject of this week's Patreon poll with the question simply, which Tesla red is your favorite? I included pictures of all four colors. There's a signature red S, multi-coat red S, ultra red S, and Midnight Cherry Model Y, since obviously the Y is the only car that can get Midnight Cherry right now. And, and I know that paint color is subjective. Of course, it is. it's, you know, everything I just said is totally my own opinion that you may disagree with. Everybody's got a different eye for different colors. But I was really surprised at the results of the poll. A lot of votes, 224 votes, 50% of you voted for the winner here. And the next closest was 30%. So it was a decisive victory. And the winner was ultra red, 50% of the vote, 30% went to Midnight Cherry Red, and I'm kind of surprised that Multicoat Red, only 10% of the vote, maybe because people feel the same way that I do, right? Like, yeah, we've been seeing this for, for many years now, it'd be nice to see something new. Signature Red, only garnering 8% of the vote. I wonder if that's in part because it's so rare that maybe very, very few of you have even had a chance to see it in real life, which is completely understandable. But Ultra Red, is there some recency bias there? Maybe, Uh, because the Midnight Cherry Red is also the other newest color of the four. But Ultra Red is certainly, it is gorgeous. So thanks to all of you who took the time to vote in this week's Patreon poll which again, you can do every week. Usually Tuesday night is when the poll goes up on patreon.com slash Tesla podcast. And unlike the lightning round episodes, you do not have to be backing me on Patreon to vote in the poll. Anybody can come on over and vote on the poll each week. So feel free to do that. And thank you again, James, for that excellent thought provoking call. The next caller this week is Steve in Seattle responding to a listener's autopilot comments from last episode. Steve, you're up. Hey, Ryan, this is Steve in Seattle calling. Uh, haven't called in, I don't know, a couple years, but I've been a listener for four or five years. Uh, I'm in the middle of a nine-hour road trip and uh, actually listening to a bunch of lightning rounds 
just decided to finally, I know it's a little delayed, but finally decided to back you on Patreon, and I'm really enjoying them. Anyway, I'm calling to respond to, I think it was JF from last week's episode about autopilot and why people don't use autopilot. Um, I'm kind of in the opposite camp, so I had a Model 3, 2018 Model 3, um, and I used autopilot um, quite a bit, but then one time I had a pretty serious phantom breaking episode, and uh, kind of made me a little leery of autopilot, and I had a couple more after that, I stopped using it, then they turned off the radar via software update, and I really never used it too much after that, when I did, I was very leery of using it. Um, Anyway, uh, ended up getting a Model Y uh, in 2022, um, upgrading to a Model Y, um, and it had just vision-only autopilot, and I was still kind of leery of using it, but what I will say is, just recently, the past couple months, I've been using autopilot quite a bit on highway driving. Um, For example, on this road trip, I've been using it so far for about four hours, and I will say, I really think there have been huge improvements in vision only autopilot, and I've had no phantom braking incidents. It's just tracking really well. Um, I'm now a believer in the fact that they have made some huge improvements. And uh, anyway, just want to point that out. And thanks again. And keep it up. Take care. Bye bye. Steve, thank you for your call and for your kind support on Patreon. It is much appreciated. I hope you're enjoying those lightning round mini episodes, and I hope that your road trip went well. While I do not own a vision-only car at this point in time, I couldn't agree with you more with regard to the improvement in phantom braking. For me, it wasn't an issue in the days where Tesla was using radar. But then, once radar was turned off, it did become a problem. But my experience has mirrored yours. It just hasn't been an issue for me for quite a while now. So hey, credit where credit's due. Kudos to the Tesla Autopilot team for their continued hard work to make it better and better. Appreciate the call, Steve. I've got time for just one more call this week. It's from Mike in New Jersey. Hey, Ryan, this is Mike from New Jersey. I'm a longtime listener, a second time caller, but not for a while. Anyways, I picked up a new Model Y recently. I now have a Model 3 and a Model Y. We have gone full electric in the vehicle department over here, and we are loving it so far. We got the seven-seater for our twin daughters and our son, who love taking turns sitting in the back row. It's been a lot of fun. Anyways, this might be the most non-issue issue ever called in about on your podcast, but here it goes. This is about the garage door openers, either the MyQ or the HomeLink. You can set a distance for when the door closes when you leave and opens when you arrive home. What I'm finding is that if it's too far, I'll have my wife saying, oh, the door's not going to close when we get far away from the garage door on the long driveway that we have. But if we set it too close, we wind up sitting there waiting for the garage to open as we pull up uh, and, you know, it just starts when we're five or ten feet away or whatever. I thought it would be neat if they had a way to set a different distance for when you're leaving versus when you're arriving. And maybe they'd have to look at how long the car's been idle or, or something to figure that out. But it would be ideal to have it close, say, within five feet after leaving, but open within 20, 25 feet for those of us with longer driveways. Anyways, just thought this would be a cool feature. I love your show. Love listening. Thanks for all you do. And have a good one. Mike, I think this is a great idea. And you articulated why perfectly. As far as I know, the system is a quote-unquote dumb system, meaning it doesn't know if it's open or closed, at least 
This is how it is with the home link that's in my 2018 Model 3. But I'm sure there's still a way to set it up the way that you're suggesting. So I am happy to put this out into the world in hopes that the right person from Tesla hears it and considers it. Thank you so much for calling in. Thank you to everybody that kindly took the time to call in to be a part of the podcast. I promise I will get to more of your phone calls on next week's episode. In the meantime, though, I'm still not done. Uh, I want to tell you about a Tesla repair experience that I had this week, as well as uh, your pro tip of the week and a bit more coming up right after this. This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief, Sierra 117. You're listening to Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast. You know, that Cybertruck looks a lot like a warthog, doesn't it? Master Chief, out. As for what's going on with me and my car, I started having a weird problem last weekend that was disabling my autopilot. So what would happen is I would get in the car and the left repeater camera specifically kept failing to initialize. And what I noticed over the course of driving the car over several days was that it would always be after I'd just driven it and it had worked fine, and then I'd park the car and the car had sat outside for a bit, and then I would come back to it and get in, and that's when the problem would happen. The, the other cameras would pop up fine. I could, I could bring up the, the backup camera and the right repeater camera on the display, no problem, but the left one would just be a, a black nothing with the sort of initializing, loading, little swirling circle thing. But unfortunately, it meant that autopilot wouldn't work. Even cruise control would not work. So this very quickly became super annoying, and it was repeating enough where I went, okay, I'm just going to file a service request for this. And Tesla Mobile Service came out to my house, which is always appreciated, and the technician, AJ, did, it was awesome. He popped the old one out, popped the new one in, in 30 seconds total, I think, and uh, and it was great. It was, so it, it was not super expensive. It would have been 250, but I had told them that I I chrome deleted my car, so I didn't want the chrome trim on the repeater. And so turns out that's they're all black. Even the chrome ones are all a black housing, but for the chrome ones they would they just put a a little chrome cap on it basically that would be stuck on there with with 3M VHB tape. And so AJ just told me, well, if you don't want the chrome thing, I can just not I, I can just not charge you for the chrome piece and for the installation of that, because you know he'd have to he'd have to line it up and get it all stuck on there, get it get it on the piece properly. So I said, yeah, just don't don't worry about it. So what would have been a $250 visit turned into a $180 visit, and I've got my uh, extended warranty package with with Accelerate Auto, the Xcare package. They've got the $100 deductible, so I'll it'll cost me $100. I'll get $80 of it back. And, and then, once it got to nighttime, in my closed pitch-black garage, I tested out the new one, because I, I know that Tesla has revised the part, because uh, as many of you... Kn- Well, those of you with early Model 3s, like 2018, maybe 2019 as well, know the the feature where 
the turn signal, the, the, the repeater camera comes up on the screen when you activate the turn signal, that feature wasn't there when we took delivery of our cars. That's a feature that Tesla added more recently. And so our older Model 3s, the repeater cameras at night, you'll get a lot of blinker light bleed into the display. So, you know, you'll the, the, the window pops up with, with your repeater camera, what it sees, but you get at the top of that, you get this orange, big orange blink taking up like the top third of it, which is, you know, a first world problem, but super annoying. The newer Model 3s, they've revised the part and not just the Model 3, the Model Y, all the cars, they've revised this so that the, the housing, I guess, is a little different and the, where the bulb is, maybe where the light is. But anyway, the newer ones don't do this. So the one that the replacement that I got doesn't do it, but my, the right side, it does. So, and not only that, this is such a silly little thing, but those of you that have been listening for a while will know that this feeds right into my kind of OCD tendencies when it comes to my car. The, uh, the new black ones don't have a Tesla T logo on them. It's just a, it's just a plain black camera housing, repeater camera housing. But the old ones, if you've got a chrome trim Model 3, the old ones had a Tesla T logo on there. Now, when I chrome deleted it at OC Detailing in Fremont, because my guy at Immaculate Reflections doesn't do chrome delete, or at least he didn't then, maybe he does now, but I guess he doesn't need to now because none of the Teslas have chrome. But anyway, so at the moment, I have one, uh, one repeater camera that doesn't have blinker bleed and it's just a plain black housing. And then I have another repeater camera on the other side of the car that has the Tesla T logo kind of carved out uh, really beautifully, I might add, by OC detailing on the uh, with the chrome delete. So it's the, the black chrome delete. And then the, they left the T logo in silver. So that, that actually looks really nice. And then, but then that side also has the the blinker light bleed at night. So they're completely mismatched now, both cosmetically and functionally. So I've decided to just take it upon myself. I know I won't be making any any warranty claim on it because it still works, but I'm just, I'm going to have the other one replaced too so that it matches both cosmetically, but also functionally. And that way I'll, I'll have a nice, you know, it'll cost me a little bit of money, cost me 180 bucks. Well, on, on the other side, completely out of pocket. And then what, uh, 80, it'll cost yeah, 80 and 180. So be what, 260 overall to get, uh, to get both sides upgraded to the new, the new version where the blinker can be on and you still, you know, you don't have the, the blinker getting in the way of that display. So uh, anyway, that was my Tesla adventure for this week. On a more fun note, I, I gotta I gotta tell you guys something. I had a real, like an actually real conversation with my wife about the Model S Plaid as we were out walking the dogs. And the date that we had this conversation is is relevant. It was last Saturday, September 30th, which of course was the last day of the quarter and the last day that you could get an FSD transfer. So, because it started haunting me. I was like, this thing is kind of in the realm of affordability. It's gotten, you know, it's been cut way down in price. 
the paint colors aren't extra money anymore. I could get ultra red for no additional cost. Uh, it, it was just, it was, it was really seeping into my brain. Like this, this is becoming a possibly realistic thing. And I mentioned to my wife, well, who, who has, who has expressed some, uh, understandable concern about the size of the Cybertruck. And so, well, well, what if, what if we just get a, a plaid instead? And she actually entertained it. Like in, she, she really gave it some thought. Now, I, we kind of, we didn't end up doing anything. Obviously, I would have ha- I would have probably led the show with that. Guess what, you guys? Um, but, but there was a kind of a real conversation there for a minute about it. And I don't know if it really could have happened if we'd sat down and, and properly run the numbers. But the fact of the matter is she at least entertained the idea of a Model S Plaid, which is a victory unto itself. And honestly, it made me feel really good. It made me not, not like set like as a, it just made me feel really, this may sound silly. It made me feel really loved, like extra loved that she would consider this, even though it's not something that she would do. It's not something that, that is of any interest to her. It's not something she would even really agree with because the plaid is the plaid. It's, it's, it's one of the craziest, you know, feats of engineering, in the on four wheels right now, but it really made me feel extra love that she kind of took it seriously for a minute. And what has kind of kept this swirling around in my head, even though the FSD transfers over, and we've been told that it's not coming back, so we have to take have to take Tesla at face value on that for now. So that's that's done. But out of random curiosity. I, again, I mentioned earlier in the podcast about the inflation calculator. I used an inflation calculator to see how much my Model 3 exactly as configured. I told you about the comparing the base price of it to from 2018 uh, in 2023 dollars to what it now costs after this new price cut on the Model 3 performance. But I, I took the all-in price, what I paid in 2018 which again was $80,500. Yes, there were some incentives there, but out the door, that's what it was. You want to take one guess how much a Plaid Model S configured exactly as I would want it today. Now, except for full self-driving, that's the one difference because I'm just, I'm not on board with $12,000 for full self-driving. So I would, I would probably order any next Tesla without FSD. But take a guess as to how much money in uh, how much money in 2023 dollars my 2018 Model 3 came out to. If you guessed the exact price of the Model S Plaid that I would want, you are correct. It, I was that that floored me where I was like, wait a second. This so this this a Model S plaid how I want it which is ultra red paint white interior 21 inch wheels is the same amount of money in 2023 dollars as as what I paid for my car five years ago and that just that it really floored me because 
And I know, you know, okay, maybe wages haven't necessarily kept up with inflation, so it's not necessarily quite a one-to-one thing, but it got me thinking, well, wait a second. Can I actually afford a Model S Plaid? You know, I'm I'm doing a little better for myself in my career than I was five years ago, so I, it's now a real thought swirling around in my head, and I'm not sure I'm going to be able to get it out anytime soon. Um, so who knows? I, I don't know if anything will ever come of it, but... If you're, if like me, you've had your Tesla for a while and are maybe fantasizing about a new one, it, regardless of what it is, SX, 3 or Y, maybe just as a fun thought exercise, Google inflation calculator and run the price of your car in the year that you paid it, that you got it, in 2023 dollars and see what it comes out to. Because like me, you might be surprised. <laughs> All right. Let's do your pro tip of the week. This has been an epically long episode, hopefully in a good way. Hopefully you're not just sick of me by now or, or thinking I'm, I guess if you thought that you'd have just pressed pause or stop and, and bailed out by now. Anyway, here's your pro tip of the week. It comes from James in Brisbane, Australia. G'day, Ryan. It's James from Brisbane, Australia. I've got a pro tip of the week for you. I have a 2020 Model 3 Performance, the original Chrome version. When Tesla introduced the ability to see the side repeater cameras with the indicators on, I found the feature pretty useless because at night my side cameras were um, blinded with the orange flash of the indicators. I found out through an Australian Facebook group here that Tesla operate a retrofit where you can get the cameras and the housing replaced with the newer version, which Uh, improves that issue and the flashing goes away just thought i'd raise it haven't heard it on the podcast and hopefully it helps someone else well this is some bad hosting on my part Uh, as is probably now obvious i slotted in james's call at the very beginning usually i i so i have a, a running archive of all the pro tip of the week calls that i haven't gotten to yet and when the very first thing i do when i start a new week's episode is I grab one of those and slot it in so that so that I don't forget about it the rest of the week. And so clearly I should have double checked my own notes and uh, because I I I just am just lived through and I guess I'm still living through exactly what James's call was about. So yes, James definitely worth mentioning uh, and if you as I said if you've got like me a classic chrome trim model 3 and those orange blinkers on your repeater cameras at night annoy you, you can indeed swap them out for a fee from Tesla if you like. If it should be, it'd be, like I said, 180 bucks if you don't want the chrome piece on there, 250 a piece if you do want the chrome piece on there. All right. Uh, oh, by the way, if anybody else out there has a pro tip of the week that you'd like to share with me and your fellow Tesla owners and enthusiasts, Please send it in the same way that you would submit a regular Ride the Lightning hotline call. I gave you the instructions for that a little while ago. Okay, before I get out of here, let me mention some friends of Ride the Lightning that my hope is they can be of use to you. Maybe this week, maybe next week, maybe sometime down the road. Starting with abstractocean.com. They have so many excellent aftermarket Tesla accessories for all four Teslas, from lighting kits to cosmetic things to uh, just just a whole gamut of stuff 
I advise you to take a look on abstractocean.com. Maybe you want to get that fourth generation tempered glass screen protector that they had made custom fit for any of the four Teslas. Maybe you want to get a lighting kit internally. They've got so many of those if you want to either get a brighter accent lighting on the interior or get a different color. Maybe you want a purple LED light in there. Maybe that would be cool. Whatever it is, check it out. They have so much stuff abstractocean.com and don't forget to use the coupon code RTLpodcast at checkout to get 15% off of your first order that's RTLpodcast all one word no spaces meanwhile the snap plate is available to you at everyamp.com slash RTL and the everyamp folks are now kindly offering a discount for you as well just use the coupon code RTL. So go to everyamp.com slash RTL, then use the coupon code RTL to get a nice little discount. And the Snap Plate and new Snap Plate Plus are the front license plate brackets that snap on and off in seconds, but when it's on there, it is on there safely, securely. It's a nice minimalist design, and it just, if you gotta have a front plate up there, this is the way to do it. The snap plate is safety optimized with breakaway features to sacrifice itself in a worst case scenario, like a parking accident or a car wash. The snap plate plus, if you're curious about the difference, is strength optimized with hardened features for maximum strength, so it is designed to not give way should you accidentally bump into something. Both have their signature minimalist aesthetic that blends in perfectly with the Tesla front end, and both are made from recycled, made-in-the-USA plastics with stainless steel reinforcements. BudgetSafeSolar.com can take care of your solar panel installation needs for your home or business pretty much anywhere. So check them out, BudgetSafeSolar.com. They do now also offer home battery storage as well as the solar panels themselves, including I've got a family member that's actually about to get an install. And he, uh, at the beginning of the project, was not going to be getting Tesla Powerwalls, but now he is. So I believe those are now available through Budget Safe Solar as well. So uh, you're going to look at Tesla Solar. I did. I, I, that's, that was the first thing I did. But if Tesla Solar doesn't end up working out for you for whatever reason, as it didn't with me, again, no hard feelings. It just, just didn't line up. But check out BudgetSafeSolar.com. And if you do proceed with an installation, please use the referral code RTL. Immaculate Reflections, whose website is IRDetailing.com. Wonderful detailing options available for your car. Treat yourself, treat your car. If you are in or going to be in the greater San Francisco Bay Area, whether you want to do paint protection film on some or all of the car. Maybe you want to do ceramic coating so that water will just bead off of it for the next three to five years because ceramic coating lasts a long time. Maybe you want to do paint correction to get that paint finish looking as good as it possibly can. Any of that, all of that, immaculate reflections, I guarantee you, I actually guarantee you that you will leave happy. That's how talented of a detailer that Jeff, the owner of the place, is. And that's how good a person he is, too. He just, he is an honest, trustworthy guy who does high-quality work that he will stand behind. Uh, and you can, again, 
book in with him through his website, irdetailing.com. And if you do, be sure to mention in your communication with Jeff that you're a Ride the Lightning listener and there is a nice little listener discount waiting for you. I really appreciate Jeff at Immaculate Reflections for continuing to offer that discount to my audience. PureTesla.com slash RTL is your one-stop shop for your dash cam and sentry mode setups. They use an SD memory card based uh, setup, which still plugs into your car via the USB port that your car has. But micro SD is going to be a better long-term solution for the constant reading and writing that dash cam and sentry mode need to do. So get yours at puretesla.com slash RTL, 49 bucks for the 128 gigabyte kit, 69 bucks if you want to step up to the 256 gigabyte kit. Either one ships free anywhere in the US. There's a modest shipping fee if they need to, if you need to have it shipped internationally. It works with Mac or PC and they'll just work right out of the package. Take it right out of the package, plug it into your car, boom, done. You've got yourself a reliable dash cam and sentry mode setup for years to come. Finally, my Patreon, which I mentioned at the top, but you can find my Patreon page, which has all the information, all the different support tiers at patreon.com slash Podcast. P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash Podcast. The base support tier is just five bucks a month. For just five bucks a month, you can be supporting my efforts here on Ride the Lightning. This podcast comes at you free every single week. I take a lot of pride in that, and I hope you enjoy listening to it every single week. Five bucks will also get you early access to each week's episode as well. I can give you a little um, sneak peek that next week I have to record early on Thursday evening because uh, I will tell you, since all of you are friends, we are going to, uh, my wife really wants to see the solar eclipse, the total solar eclipse. And we, so we're going to the path of totality. So we will be in Albuquerque, New Mexico next weekend to witness the, uh, what I, I guess it's the second to last full solar eclipse in North America. There's apparently there's one next year that'll, that'll go through Dallas, I believe is one of the, one of the major U S cities, but so it's, yeah, this year and next year. And then apparently there isn't another one that comes through the United States for decades. So we're going to a place I've never been, New Mexico, going to Albuquerque next week. I need to record the show on Thursday night instead of Friday night, which means if you're backing the page, backing me on Patreon at any level, you will get uh, a little extra early access to next week's show. So again, that's the $5 tier. The $10 tier will get you the early access and those weekly lightning round bonus mini episodes. And then the tiers go up from there. So find all the information and sign up if you see it in your heart to do so at patreon.com slash Podcast. And you can get this podcast. Again, the show itself always will be free on all the major podcast services like Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and TuneIn and Spotify and YouTube Podcasts, now that that's a thing. If you do want to find my YouTube channel, which, again, 
hardly has any videos on it, but you can listen that way if you want. All the, all the episodes are there. Uh, so go on over to YouTube and just search Ride the Lightning Tesla on YouTube and you should find me pretty easily. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram if either of those options is appealing to you. I'm the same handle on both, DMC underscore Ryan. And again, my podcast email address is teslapodcast at gmail.com. And before I go, I want to say hello and thank you to the upper tier Patreon supporters, the Roadster in Space tier, the Maximum Plaid tier, and the Grandfathered in Plaid tier. I'll start with Roadster in Space. Thank you so much for, for the uh, continued generosity by Pete White, Lyle Austin, Steve Radspinner, Fernando Cordero, Lawton from Chicago, Sean Neidig, Neil Weaver, Jackson Wallace, Rolf and Jennifer Evers, Howard Anthony Smith, Victoria Ayacavetto, Tesla Hitchhiker 42, Carol Weston, and Robert from near Philly. Next, I'll go to the grandfathered in plaid level supporters. Thank you for continuing to support me, even though formally speaking, the plaid tier is no more, but these folks kindly continue their pledge at that amount, and so they get grandfathered in to all the perks associated with it. Thank you so much to George Cassiopo, David Brander, Logan Willis, Peter Chalet, Eric Randolph, Dory and Steve Guberman, the Tesla owners of Taiwan, Ron Lee, Charlie Gillespie, David Perella, Dennis Peake, Jeff Angwin, Chase Cabanillas, the Lydia family, Aaron Altschul, Jared Brown, Jerome Strack, Jamie Dalton, the Tesla Owners East Bay Club, Mike and Barbara from Louisville, David J. Howes, Matt Nixon, the Tesla Owners Club of Wisconsin, Ish, not Elon Musk, Peter, and the Bear Boys of Colorado. And finally, the Maximum Plaid backers, who I'm hoping I'll see and hear from many of them at our monthly Patreon Zoom Hangout, which is for the Maximum Plaid tier and up. That happens usually the first Saturday of every month is what I aim for. It doesn't, some months we have to pick a different day, but it is happening tomorrow as I record this. It'll be yesterday or days ago for many of you hearing this, but we're doing that on Saturday, October 7th. So I'm looking forward to that tomorrow. So I hope to see Jonathan Wales, Cameron Clark, Daniel Grummer, Seth Capello, Nick and Tony, the Galpin family, Ryan from New York City, Darren Nickel, Kaz Barnes, Brett Libano, Patrick Wisneski, Gil Cabrera, Watley, Mark Eversole, Todd Badger, Joe Edgel, Kevin Yank, the Tesla Owners Club of San Joaquin Valley, Michael Williams, Will Stedman, Derek Nesselrote, Justin Perez, Jeremy Harris, Chris Beach, Tom Mills, Corey O'Donnell, Aaron, John Cody, Joel Sapp, Paul Casarino, Richard Corley, Chris Osborne, KB, Ken Epstein, Doug Carey, James Gregory, Adam Lavoy, contact1callcenter.com, Jason Chalukas, Travis Krenzel, Bruce Otterstein, Tom Behan, Josh Pennington, Matt Kalen, John from Cream Ridge, New Jersey, Sean Tisdale, Dustin Hart, and Michael Gallo. And that will wrap up a pretty darn long episode of Ride the Lightning. I was I knew there was a lot to talk about this week. I mean, my notes are 20... Wait, 
What have we got this week? 21 pages of notes this week, which I know you have no context for, but it's a lot of notes for this week's podcast. But I did not think it was quite going to go this long, so I'm not going to ramble here because I want to be very respectful of your time, and I've already done quite a long episode. Hopefully you found it useful, hopefully you found it valuable, informative, maybe even entertaining, if I played my cards right as well. So thanks to all of you so much for listening. I appreciate your time, I appreciate your attention. Happy electric motoring, and I'll see you back here next week. I mean, I think a Tesla is the most fun thing you could possibly buy ever. That's what it's meant to be. Our goal is to make... It's, it's not exactly a car. It's actually a thing to maximize enjoyment. It's maximum fun.